Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the huddle breakdown. We are the podcast that look at the stats, actually, and performance of Celtic. I'm Enda Call, the person who's supposed to be running the show, the producer, and who's supposed to know how to put us live with all the mics going. But I messed that up. It's an international week, so you can excuse me for that. We're going to be doing something a little bit different on the show this evening. We're going to be look, doing a sort of mid-season rating of where Celtic are at and... Uh, what we have improved on since the, the last international break and what we're going to improve on after this one as well. Uh, to do so, I am joined on the line, as always, by Alan Morrison, Celtic by Numbers, and by Jico James as well. Guys, uh, you held the ship well in my absence last week and probably improved on things, to be honest, by the looks of it. Uh, you know what? Uh, actually, I have a confession to make up front. N- number one, I'm the reason why we're starting five minutes late, so I apologize. Number two, I one up you uh, end of last week, and I-, I haven't had a chance to inform Alan of this, uh, but this is a good disclosure based off of any analysis I'm going to do today, meaning that you should ignore me, is uh, the reason I had a mic problem last week um, was because I didn't have it on. <laughs> The, the, I, I never turn it off. I never turn it off. And I share this workspace with my teenage daughter who does a bunch of stuff for school and all kinds of different things. And um, immediately in the a-hole parent, I assumed that she had done something to my setup um, and assumed my detective work should start there. And uh, in fact, it was my stupidity. So um, I apologize to my daughter and I apologize to all of the listeners and Alan for having a horrible mic last uh, last week because of my sheer stupidity. Yeah, this the sad, the sad truth work. is that no, nobody noticed. No. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're all learning here. We're all learning here. Um, listen, we're going to be doing that mid-season rating in a little while, but we're going to start with the news of the week. And I know some people will be wondering why we're covering this, but I mean, we have to cover the biggest news of the week, and that is that Steven Gerrard has left Rangers. He's gone to Aston Villa to become the manager. He's taken uh, Michael Beale with him as part of his coaching staff. And suddenly, Rangers are going into the next uh, half of the season without a manager so far. Uh, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst is the uh, person who is being egged on as the current favorite. There's also uh, rumors that Alex Neal is in the running for the job as well. So, guys, I guess we'll get your instant reaction to this. Um, this is sort of Brendan Rogers esque in a way, not to the same extent where Brendan Rogers was, uh, you know, was, it was further on the season, but what, uh, what are your thoughts on Steven Gerrard leaving Rangers and then on what that, what impact that might have on them? Go ahead, Alan. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be, I think for, for them, it's going to be hugely impactful. It has to be right. This is an incredibly disruptive uh, event, whatever you think about the merits or otherwise of Gerard as a manager, um, the, the, you know what. What I would say is that over the last three years, the, they've been an improving team, and they're a team which, as I've said many times, and, and I'd have meant it sincerely as a compliment, are incredibly well organised, well drilled, well coached side, and you know to have the the whole of the backroom team, uh, including you know. 
people like Beale, who's very highly regarded, to all walk away um, is you know is going to be uh, is going to be a, a definitely very highly disruptive. So I think that's the good news for Celtic, if you like, um, because again, trying to attract anybody, players or manager, mid-season is always is always problematic. All the good all the good people are in jobs. Um, and the season's not even, you know, we're not even at the stage where people either are, are, are giving up on European places and still in cups and all that sort of thing. So, you know, it's going to be very difficult to prize people away, especially if you don't have a lot of money necessarily to, to pay compensation, etc. So massive disruption. Um, on the, on, I suppose that, you know they've got the same players. Um, I'm sure they won't change radically how they play. They've got a big, a big squad and a, and a strong squad, so it probably won't have a massive impact in the immediate term. I'm sure they'll get themselves well motivated for a cup semi final. But yeah, massive, massive disruption. It has to be. It's a, it's a hugely disruptive event at this point in the season. James, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with Alan. I think that the uh, what I can maybe add is going back to my old uh, analogies as far as system dynamics. And this is a test for their system. You know, how, how robust is their organizational structure? How robust is their decision making? Um, you know, to use the Rogers scenario as an analogy, uh, we saw Celtic respond to that shock in a way that uh, over the intermediate term probably turned out to be not the wisest. Um, so, you know, when the shock hits the system, the question is, okay, how resist, uh, how resilient is it? So um, are they going to have, you know, are they going to make a, a reasonably smart decision given the, the factors that Alan mentioned? Um, you know, are they going to go for, you know, some would joke a staunch candidate uh, that's, uh, you know, that knows the city again, to use the analogy, or are they going to go with someone who's going to be a consistent, continuation of the style of play, you know, kind of what you would expect given that they've adopted the director of football model with Wilson and, and, and whatnot. So the, the, I, that's what I expect. I mean, I think somebody like GVB makes sense within that context. He's available. They won't have to pay for him. You know, it's not like his resume is completely uh, devoid of success at fine already had some good success. He seemed to play a similar style. So that seems coherent to me. Um, the other thing I'll add is I, I think generally speaking, and I wrote about this in a thread uh, once the news became final, is I think generally speaking, the importance of managers are overstated. Um, I mean, that, of course, they're important. Um, but we've talked about the, the manager as God model um, and how that's uh, sport has moved away from that, not only in uh, uh, football's slower, but in a lot of other sports like um, basketball, hockey baseball. Um, so in the era of analytics and data and information, um, they tend to be an instrument of deploying the intelligence of the organization, shall we say? Uh, so they're part of that process, a vital important part of that process with as far as man management, um, emotional intelligence, you know, getting players to perform well within that context. Um, and, and on the margins, things like tactics and, and that kind of thing. So that, that's where I think, you know, uh, Beal and Gerard, to me, were competent, proficient, but nothing special, as most managers aren't. There are very few Contes and, you know, managers that uh, are, are true difference makers. You know, they're kind of heterodox on the, on the wings of the distribution, so to speak, of mm. uh, truly brilliant managers. So... You know, it's going to be disruptive if they make smart decisions. I don't think it'll be hugely disruptive over the intermediate term. Um, and the last thing I'll say is that it does create additional resources for them, uh, whatever the reports are, four million or whatever it is. Uh, every million counts as we're heading into a transfer window that may end up being hugely important, not only for us, but for them relative to the competitive balance in the last five months of the season. So there's a lot of risk with it, um, but there could be some quote-unquote upside. I mean, if they replace Gerard and Beal with someone who's at least in the ballpark of uh, and the whole team, McAllister or whatever, and and uh, the transition transition period isn't destructive, um, then they might actually have some extra money to reinforce the playing squad, which, mm. again, analytically, that may actually be more important than a difference between Beal and GBB. 
you know, if they go out and sign some stud, stud center back, given the state of their center back situation right now, that may have a bigger impact versus, you know, Gerard GVB. Um, but the, I, I, I lied. One more thing. Their fixture list is pretty tough. So between now and the end of the season, uh, end of the year with the big Derby, uh, they've got to go away to harder fixtures like Livingston. I think they have to go to Hearts. They may even have to go to Hibs. Hibs and Aberdeen. And Aberdeen, right. So the fixture, you know, we got the tough end of the draw in the first round. Um, and then it flipped here in the second round. So this adjustment period and transition, all these things that Alan rightly pointed out, could be amplified within that context as well. Um, because, mm. they, they, you know, December is always tough. They've got some European fixtures in there and now, you know, the away fixtures in the, in the league. So it, it's going to be fascinating in my mind. Again, a huge test for the resiliency of their their structure. Yeah, look, there's a there's a lot of uh, sort of different points that we can we can hit on with this. Uh, the first point I would make is on Van Bronckhorst himself. Um, just the right enough amount of bastard in him to be the Rangers manager, and, and <laughs> enough enough of a you know a, a personality on the pitch to uh, have have me automatically dislike him as soon as he is the Rangers manager. Uh, secondly, the fixture uh, list is very important as well going into this. I was talking on the Monday breakdown about sort of markers within the season and. The next marker for Celtic is that derby match. Um, there's eight games between now and then. If this disrupts Rangers for two to three fixtures and Celtic continue on the form that they've been on, they could be within uh, one point or even ahead of Rangers by the time that game comes around, which will could be could be a turning point within the season. And then finally, the, the money point of view is a very interesting one because, I mean, Steven Gerrard was brought in to do one thing and one thing only, stop the 10 in a row. They've spent an extortion amount of money to do that. They haven't replaced that money with anything. I know the accounts were uh, broken down by Swiss Ramble there and the, like compared to Celtic, it's it's absolutely incomparable when it comes to the amount of money coming into the club for players. Um, so, and then on the flip side of that, if you take away the fact that you know players are assets and, and actual human beings, a lot of those players have come to the club for Steven Gerrard and may not want to continue within that club without Steven Gerrard as the manager. So it, I, I can't see how it would not have an impact of some sort um, in terms of their season. And if it di- disrupts them enough to have Celtic either on level points or ahead of them by the time that derby match comes around, I think it, it it's really is a, it's sort of a swing state in America if you want to look at it from a... A sort of a, a campaign point of view. That's that's where I I see it. We will uh, we will park Stephen Gerrard now because this is a Celtic podcast. Allegedly, one of the allegedly <laughs> we, we we you know we dive into a few other things as well. Sometimes there's weird avant garde uh, uh, art uh, references that you make, James, and I have no yeah. idea what you're talking about most of the time. But I pretend I do, and, and <laughs> I smile and nod. Yeah, uh, let's let's touch on something that has been discussed over the last couple of weeks, and that is uh, Jota and whether Celtic should make him a permanent signing. Six point five million it would cost uh, to make him a permanent signing, and I have to. I'm going to lay my cards on the table right now. I do think Celtic should sign him. I think I've seen enough of him uh, as a player in multiple competitions to say, I believe Celtic should sign him. James, you were writing differently in the Celtic way during the week. So lay your cards on the table. Explain to us why you think it might be a risk. Right. So let me, let me first preface this by saying that he's been tremendous. Uh, I enjoy watching him as a fan. I mean, the entertainment value and his performance levels have been really good, uh, particularly in attack. Um, my, my point is more a top-down um, organizational one. I mean, if we think of this from a, how, how are Celtic going to build a team that's of a level that I think most of us want, which is truly competing at the European level along with our peer group, the Portos, the Benficas, you know, e- even ignoring uh, kind of that next rung of Ajax and, and Salzburg is I think there's certain organizational type decisions that we've got to make. And one of them is tilting more towards optimizing resources. Um, So I think within that context, I think a question is, well, is signing someone like Jota's profile as good as he's been 
and as good as he probably will be if we sign him permanently, uh, is that good enough from an optimization perspective? And I think that's where the, the risks come in and the questions come in. Um, so the other thing I've done is kind of benchmark his performance so far. So I think the first thing that we need to do when you're looking at this kind of thing is he's been good. But okay, well, how good? What does that mean? What's the context, right? What is, what's his age? Which is likely um, development curve going to be? What's his likely resale going to value going to be within that context? So all those things fit within kind of the organizational structure is fit with Anja's system is another component to all of this, right? So I, I compared him to Kyogo because in my mind, um, Kyogo checks a lot of those boxes. He doesn't really check the age one. He's a little old for our model, right? So that's, I think, partly why we got him for the price that we did. Um, and and a, an issue in the Japanese market, given their culture and how, you know, how late players there tend to kind of get first team game time, it appears. And I've all learned in the last six months, five, six months that I didn't know anything about before. So the, the market's moving towards valuing younger players higher. So like 18, 19, that's where the premium money's going, right? That's how an Ajax and a Salzburg are outperforming because they're, they're spending their six and a half million on 18 year olds. They're not spending it on 22, 23 year olds, right? That's when they're selling their players, so that's a question structurally, right? So we've already we've already gone old in the modern game with Starfelt, with Kyogo, uh, you know, obviously with Hart. I mean, if you look at the transfer window, the only one that would even theoretically fit that model is Abada, right? So he's coming at, at at nineteen; he's now twenty. Okay, so that that's the only one that kind of fits with that. It's kind of a premium prospect where you're outlaying real money to pipeline high-end talent like a Edward was when he came in or or like a Frimpong was when he came in. Uh, so that kind of a higher tier of talent, getting it earlier. The next part is benchmarking his performance. So he's basically been somewhat comparable to kind of peak uh, forest, you know, kind of 18, 19 forest, um, and a little bit below what Sinclair was, let's say, in 16, 17. Okay, if you measure that relative to just kind of like, you know, uh, as Alan would call it, scoring contribution, XG and XA, that kind of thing. Um, and if you, I do it in various ways, if you just kind of take the number, but then if you also take it as a percentage of the output of the team, because that kind of normalizes a little bit for style of play, right? Because the 18-19 Rodgers team was not as all-out attack as, let's say, this season so far has been for for uh, under Ange. So there's all kinds of different ways to normalize these things and take a look. And there's, again, there's no question he's been very good. The question is, is it good enough given his fit, given those, all those other strategic things that I've talked about mm -hmm. uh, is the upside and payback going to be enough, right? Would I rather have two 18 year olds at 3 million that uh, maybe fit Ange's system a little bit better. And I think the big issue there is pressing so far. Uh, so we, okay. again, he's, he, uh, so that that the, the, that's kind of the, the the thought process. It has nothing to do with whether he's a good player or not. He's objectively a yeah. good player. So can I hop in and, and ask a question yeah. here just on that? Is your worry that he won't develop enough for us to get enough value out of him when we eventually sell him on? Because let's face it, that's the idea of what Celtic have been doing, that it wouldn't be worth taking the risk on the 6.5 million. You're you're thinking the value of return wouldn't be high enough. Is that is that your general? Point? I mean, we, we, we could let let's say we sign him at six and a half and we sell him for fifteen. Is is that is that good or bad? I you know it is what it is. It's not the kind of outlier move in value that our peer group is enjoying, right? When they spend six and a half on an eighteen year old, they sell them for fifty or forty, mm -hmm. right? So it's a scaling issue. It's the, what's the upside? Do I think he's going to go for 40 million? No. Um, the other part of that is who's the counterparty. And I talked about this before when we sold Frimpong, you went to Leverkusen. When we sold Kalmala, who's had a good season, by the way, because I watched him some on Red Bull with Red Bull, New York. Um, he went to Red Bull. Uh, Iyer went to Brentford. And in each of those cases, those are smart, relatively smart teams. So who would we be buying uh, Jota from? Well, it would be from one of the teams that were supposedly trying to ascend as a peer and they're selling him for some reason. I don't know what it is. I mean, I, it, I would think Benfica probably know him better than I do. 
um, and they've decided that he's surplus um, and he hasn't played there much. So I'm not saying that means he isn't good enough. I'm saying that's context, mm-hmm. right? So when I add all of these things together, I think that means the probability. And I always think in probabilities, and these things are black and white. It's what's the likelihood that he's going to be a 25, 30 million pound kind of sale in two years, I think is pretty unlikely. Um, could we make good money on him? Sure. But again, to me, that's not us optimizing. Now, the last thing I'll say is given the state of Celtic, the recruitment team, how recruiting has been do- going, I don't, you know, th- this is largely an intellectual conversation because, um, you know, I take him given the circumstances right now over another McCarthy, over another, uh, you know, over another Abada again, mm. <laughs> you know, the decision-making and the process I'd rather have uh, uh, another Jota uh, than another Abada. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of nuance to, to, to my argument here. It's just I, I, if we're going to be a club that gets to that level, I think this is the kind of decision that's reflective of why we're not there yet and that, um, you know, this isn't one that I would make. And I don't think a team like most of our um, – peer group that we're aspiring to be would make. And in fact, one of those is on the counterparty side of this decision, potentially selling him to us. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to run with the headline to say that you think uh, Jota is terrible and that. No, we should, it, we should that, that would, for... that would be absurd. <laughs> yeah. Alan, uh, Alan, do you want to hop in on this? What's, what's your general thoughts? My, my first inkling on this is that potentially the context of the league has to be taken into account here that of course Ajax and the rest of them are able to sell for 40 million because their league is respected a lot higher than the SBFL. Um, and it's, you know, Celtic have to produce a Kieran Tierney to get 30 million and Kieran Tierney, if he's an Ajax player, might go for 50 million, you know? So, you know, based on the argument that it's not optimal for, for that model, we are nowhere near operating to that model. Okay, so the, the Celtic are hugely successful in the context of Scottish football in selling talent over over the over the last probably ten years, um, probably because of the proximity to the English market and the disdain with which Scottish football has held. We've probably not got as much money for the likes of Van Dyke and Wanyama than, than perhaps we, we we would have done had we been in you know I don't know Belgium, let's say. But nevertheless, in the context of Scottish football, there isn't even there's never been and and, and it doesn't look like they're going to be a comparator for the success Celtic have had in, in being able to sell players and make a profit and therefore, you know, plug revenue gaps if you can call it a gap through not having Champions League football whilst continuing to kind of grow the football club. Having said all that, we're absolutely nowhere near the model that James talks about that you would see in place at Ajax and Benfica. We're years away from that, and I agree that should be our aspiration, and that's what we should grow towards. But we're 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 at least forty million a year in revenue short of where we would need to be to be operating at the level that, that they're operating, where they can buy three or four eighteen-year-olds for five million a year and take a punt that one of them will turn into a fifty million player. We're nowhere near that, so we're going to have to you know up our game again in terms of revenue somehow, and we're going to have to completely put, put you know coaching and recruitment and so forth and, and analysis in place that will unearth these and, and attract them to Scotland, and it's going to be a multi-year uh, process to even you know to get that up and running. In the meantime, we've got to build a squad, and you know we're, the squad is very thin and we're very short of talent. Now to James's point about. Benfica being a counterparty, not wanting to betray any confidences, but my understanding is Benfica have, have, have screwed up. Okay, uh, some, somewhere something's gone wrong. There's no way this kid should be available for the money that that he's available for. Um, my my very simple take on this, and you said it yourself, James, is if we pay six and a half million today, we've got at least a fifteen million player on our books tomorrow, and and, and in the context of Scottish football. You you would always take that move. You'd always take that move. You'd be mad not to. You know we we, we you know we paid nine million for Edward. In normal times, we probably would have got 20, 25 million for him, had it not been for COVID and 
his contract situation. And, and I think we're looking at a similar kind of um, level of talent uh, for for considerably less money than what we paid for Edward. Mm. He's still he's still relatively young, uh, twenty two. I did exactly the same as you did. I benchmarked him against actually Forrest and El Unity. I looked at Forrest and El Unity, and I, I looked at the nineteen twenty season because you know that was a good season. That was probably peak Forrest actually. So comparing a twenty two year old Yota with a twenty five year old El Unity and a twenty eight year old Forrest at the peak of his powers, he stands up pretty well. Um, there's really nothing. Nothing in, in in most of the metrics, and he actually is well ahead. He's 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 ne- he's, he's nearly at frimpong levels of elite ball progression with the ball at his feet. Um, frimpong had that one super skill, that one super superpower that got him a thirteen million pound um, move. Yota's also got that superpower, but he's got other other very strong attributes as well. Um, you know, his, his overall scoring contribution that James mentioned, which is assists plus goals, would, would, although he's not as going to be, he doesn't look like he's going to be as prolific as Forrest, got 16 goals that season. El Unici, as we know, was a good finisher. Um, but if you add in goals and assists, expected goals and expected assists, El Unici is, is nudging towards 0.9 a game, uh, which is higher than both of them. Um, for context, Edouard would be, was, was generally around one one and a bit around about where Kyogo is. So that for a winger, a creative winger, that's that's pretty good. Secondary assists, he's also very high high on. Um, his packing stats are below the others out of the water. And, and and one of his great attributes is his ability to get on the ball. So one, one, one of the problems that you see, I think, is not ever been a strength of Forrest's and is definitely a weakness in Abada's, is his ability to get on the ball. Can, is, can his, is his movement good enough to create space for himself? And then when he does create space, is his control and body strength good enough to maintain uh, possession? Jota is. He, he, might, he might have nice hair, nice teeth, and a nice little uh, metrosexual uh, goatee going on, but he's actually quite a strong guy. His body strength is good. His balance is excellent. His, his speed is good. But he, his super strength to me, and, and he comes out on top of all of the wide attacking players that we've had, is his ability to get on the ball. And as mm. we know, when he gets on the ball, he creates chaos. He gives the ball away a lot. He, he gives up more crosses. He loses more passes than all of those players because he puts risk into the game. We've talked about this over and over again. When you've got a midfield like Celtic have got now, of McGregor, Turnbull, um, you know, Bitton, these are all safe players. Okay, you need players in the final third that are going to put risk into the game, and he does that in abundance. But he does it successfully as well. I think this is a and, and, and forget the numbers. I just think he's a special player. Right. So yeah. I'll, I'll I'll rebut in two ways. Um, first is that the um, this is where I think system matters. Um, so uh, it's hard to normalize uh, players that play in different systems different managers, that type of different styles, that type of thing. Um, so, you know, for example, uh, you know, uh, Forrest in 1819 versus Forrest in 1920. Um, so just, just from a, again, this is analytical point and a conversational point, which is, okay, take uh, Jota and compare him to an Elianusi. How would Elianusi produce in Ange's system this season? It's a theoretical question, right? But yeah. he, 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 you know, we saw how much uh, Christie kind of exploded with his output in in a system that amplified his strengths. Um, the second part that I'll that I wanted to mention, and I mentioned, I meant to mention this in my uh, in my uh, first uh, my direct before the cross examination here, is um, wh- one of the areas that I think f- football and analytics is still very virginal is on the defensive side. Um, and quite frankly, that's not surprising. Even in baseball, it really hasn't been until the last five years, you know, despite Moneyball being 20 years old now. It's really the last five years where um, baseball has exploded into defensive analytics. And that's been due to, um, you know, the, the analogy with football is off the ball stuff, right? How do you quantify space? And defend because defending is so much about space um, as opposed to event data. And um, I think 
probably the best proxy that we have for that. Well, first of all, let me, before I get there, defense is a huge part of the game, right? So how do you value that? And how does it, how do you quantify and measure that and that contribution, not only as an individual, but the network effect of team defending. And that, that's where thing, you know, in hockey, basketball, and um, they're probably a better direct analogy to football because of the fluidity of the game. Um, and I, I think, Another issue for, for Jota is he, he, this is why I think Kyogo is the best analogy is uh, Jota is not in the same planet as Kyogo as far as that side of the ball. And uh, Kyogo's, uh, you know, to me, that's what makes Kyogo an outlier signing. I mean, that you're getting the kind of attacking output that Jota's performing and offering, and you're getting elite defending and pressing in that position. And that's where I think from a systemic perspective, if we get, you know, three Kyogos up front, um, you know, and that's where this Maeda guy, the rumor of him coming in potentially, where that seems to be one of his strengths. Um, so this this is the qualitative part of it, because we don't we don't have great analytics there right now. The best I can come off of is is looking at some um, pressure data and stats off a of stats bomb. And I don't, I don't have access to their off the ball metric called OBV because it's too expensive and I don't have access to it yet. But the way I can kind of infer things, you know, Jota is at best an average player in that regard within the context of Anja's system where that's amplified, meaning that the importance of that aspect of his position in Anja's system, it's not the same as playing on a counterattacking team where the balance of his, you know, the value of defense versus attack is tilted more towards kind of sitting back defensively. Um, so going forward and defending from the front, creating chances off of that defending, I think is vitally important to Ange's system the way I understand it to be. Kyogo fits that to a brilliant pers- you know, degree, um, and, and, and Jota doesn't. And again, so that's you know kind of my final argument, which mm. is, in my mind, if we're going to have, you know, kind of the, the, the top signing, because that would be at six and a half million. Uh, to me, you get, you know, a 19 year old who can play that way, who's optimal, you know, basically look at Abada's age profile, but someone who can finish and press and can dribble and beat players off, you know, off a dribble. Um, you find that those type of players spend this, four, five, six million on that kind of profile, you're going to get in, in Angie's system because we've, we've seen it with Abada. If they have the skill set at that age, they're still going to be able to produce at, at a European level. And then you also get the asymmetry of the higher potential sale value on, on, on the flip side. So I, I just, I, cause again, th- this comes back to a system thing too. I mean, We've seen this. I mean, that's, that, I think that's part of why, and we'll talk about this in the next segment, that's part of why Ange has changed how we're playing is because we're not defending from the front and the midfield is not pressing in his system the way, um, and we don't have a sweeper keeper, right? So he's a smart, he's a really smart guy. So he's done a lot mm. of smart things to tweak the system to optimize more for the talent that he has. Um, so I, th- to me, it'll be interesting. You know, I, I don't really take managers saying, yeah, we want a player. I mean, they're never going to come out and say, I don't want a player. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's not the way these things work. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see if they do um, sign them permanently, because to me, it, given everything I've read about Ange, I don't think he fits Ange's profile of the player that he would sign um, as, as a, you know, as, as the big time key position um, for, for, you know, for his system. So, so James, I, I mean, normally I'm with you, but I just, I just think you're miles off on this one. I really do. You, you, That's why I'm heterodox. Yeah. So, so could you, also what I found doing the Celtic by numbers thing, because obviously as people may or may not know, probably do know by now, I collect my own data. I, I try and use um, the same definitions I opt to use wherever I can. I don't, I don't, and I create, I got my own some bespoke stuff, but generally speaking, I create my own data. The, the Benefit of that is to be able to benchmark Celtic players through through the years. Now, what I've found in looking at various different, um, mainly through trying to work out do, do players play better in Europe or not, that type of conversation, 
what I found is that the standard of the opposition is by far the most um, predictive uh, ele element in terms of uh, how a player will perform, more so than any system or formation. Now, caveat that with, I think in certain cases with certain individuals, it, it clearly does matter. And, and Shane Duffy that and I and I were talking about before the show certainly fits into that. You know, on an individual basis, the way he was asked to play, given his skill set, wasn't uh, conducive to to getting the best performance out of him. But generally speaking, if you want to see if you if you see uh, how as a player is created more chances, scored more goals, et cetera, et cetera, the quality of the opposition will be the most important aspect over and above who the manager was and whether it was 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. So I, I, kept, I, don't, I don't accept that that is a reason for not signing Jota. And secondly, every player is a trade-off, right? You've got to make a trade-off for whoever you sign. Celtic are not in the market for buying the finished article at 18 that has got 15-plus out of 20 on every attribute on FIFA or whatever it is, or championship manager, right? It's just not going to happen. It, it doesn't work like that. This is a guy who's got, you know, potentially elite level attributes in the most difficult part of the game, which is creating chances and scoring, right? That is the hardest thing to do. If we had an, if we had an attack that consisted of three Kyogo clones, we wouldn't score any goals because there would be nobody to create the chances. It's not how you can't build a football team like that. And then, I, I, when you think, I just, I don't, and when yeah. you, and when you, just the last thing, last point is, when I mean, you look at the context of the team that we have today, okay, we do not have enough um, risk-taking creativity. We've got. I'm not going to say we don't have enough creativity. That's not accurate. We don't have enough risk-taking creativity in the side with the midfield that we've got, and Yota gives us that in in, in abundance. And I think he's he's crucial to the way that the team is playing and to the success we're having in an attacking third so far this season. Mm -hmm. I, I, Final I, point I, on this, James? Yeah, I agree with all of that. My, my point is more so, uh, I shouldn't say I agree with all that. I, I agree with his importance in attack. Um, where I would disagree is I don't think there's anything unique about him. Um, I think he's, you know, a very good player in that regard. But as you know, we, uh, Sinclair's 16-17 season in the Champions League, uh, at a much higher level against better teams is was better than what Jota's been doing at a year at a. But he was uh, twenty nine. He was twenty nine years old. Oh no, I he's agree. The, he's I, absolute I, peak of his career. You know, I, I, yeah. I, I don't disagree yeah. with that. But yeah. it, let me let me just finish the second point, which is um, so st I'm looking at it now. So stats bomb, um, benchmarks, all kinds of stuff statistically. So within the Europa League, uh, so far, and I run all kinds of radars relative to attack and defending and pressing and all that stuff. So, so far in his nine, a little over nine games, he's 24th percentile in possession adjusted interceptions. Uh, he is 82nd percentile in tackles, but he's only 27th percentile in defending dribblers. Uh, and he is 52nd percentile in pressures, possession adjusted yeah. pressures. He's, he's so average. I, I, no, I'd accept that. Right. So that's but my. It, but, it, but, it's a, but, it's, but it's a bit like the same argument as saying, you know, we'll sign a goalkeeper who's great at crosses because lots of teams in the SPFL ping crosses in if that was the case we would keep Barkas because Barkas is the best goalkeeper at defending crosses right now pre pressures and regains if you look across the metrics for a game are a relatively small part of the game I'm not demeaning the importance of it and the importance of style and what Impossible right. was trying to do and I accept and I completely agree that Jota is at best average at that aspect but that's that's the balance that's the that's the trade-off with him now, now, now what what is compounding it is that neither McGregor Turnbull Rogic Bitton uh, are, are, are that are, are very good at that aspect of the game either. So it's a systemic Agreed. problem that Celtic have. If we had players in the midfield like Christie who could do that part of the game well, you, you, the, tra the trade-off with Jota would be an absolute no-brainer, right? Mm -hmm. I, I agree with that. I mean, you have that luxury if you have the systemic part that allows you to overweight part of your allocation of resources, let's say, to an outlier attacking player. I mean, that if you're going to have a lux, you know, a luxury player, and I don't think Jota is that. I mean, I think he's no. proficient enough defensively. So it, it, it's a balance. But I, again, let me let me just read off the uh, the example of of um, of uh, Kyogo. So Kyogo's 93rd percentile defending against dribblers and uh, 97th percentile in possession adjusted pressures. Right. So those are just two examples of that. That to me, to your point, Alan, they're low percentage, but because we don't have great off the ball or spatial 
statistics. To me, those are logical proxies for players that are using space in a way in pressing that are dynamic and they're going to create problems for the opposition. And to your point, I think part of the reason, I mean, I think this is maybe a good segue. And I know you're trying to move us along here as the good host that you are, uh, as, as Alan and I are duking it out here, <laughs> is um, if you look at XG conceded so far, and this is before we play our two hardest, two of our harder games in the, in the Europa League group. Uh, it's not much lower than it was last season in the debacle that was the Europa League group last season. The difference is that we're creating twice the amount of, of chances, right? So, again, the value of this attack versus defending um, and, and doing it at a European level. So I think Jota's... Uh, and again, this this is not a hill I'm going to die on, right? So, like I said, if they sign oh. Joka, yeah, I, I, this is why I qualified. I mean, given the state of Celtic right now, if they sign Jota, I think it's going to be a less than optimal decision, but way better than the vast majority of decisions that have made. And there's, you know, um, so, but you know, it, it's that issue of at a European level, are we going to be able to defend front to back? And create the attacking. And I think the pieces of that, I go back to my Jenga analogy all the time, is having those pieces shaped properly. Uh, and to your point, out, if we have three stud midfielders who are Ange Ball midfielders, then you can get away with a Jota in one or two of the spots yeah. up front. Um, but we don't. So that's it. Does, it does, so last little point, it doesn't help that we keep ending up in a group with at least two top five league opponents. Right. <laughs> yeah. Fair yeah. Enough. Yep. Well, th- that's what that's what happens when your your seating drops where Celtic is. Unfortunately, I'm gonna be the moderator and say that was a draw. Um, I, <laughs> I, I'm still on. I'm still on Team Jota. I still think Celtic should sign him. Um, and I think, look, although this is a stat show, and I'm not uh, disregarding the pressing stats, James, but. I think if we get to the end of the season and Jota has 14 goals, eight assists, Ange isn't going to be wondering if he's in the, the top percentile of, of pressing. I think he's going to see him as a real attacking threat and, and sign him. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We are going to talk about the season so far. So this is sort of the last break that we have until 2022 because that's when the next international break is. Um, so we want to do sort of a mid-season. I know it's not exactly mid-season, but we want to do a, a sort of a ratings of where we're at so far. So I'll just rattle through the the sort of thirds of the season so far, if you take it by the international breaks. The first third was the initial one. So we, we started the season by loss to Hearts. Then we won one, two, three, four, five, six games in a row, then losing to AZ Alkmaar and lost to Rangers in the first, uh, first derby of the season. The second period of the season, was where we started to see a little bit of a struggle. Came off the break with a 3-0 win to Ross County, then lost to Betis, lost to Livingston, won the game against Wraith Rovers, drew to Dundee United, lost to Leverkusen, and then won to Aberdeen. And then the last international, since the last international break, unbeaten in seven games, six wins, one draw, started to pick up results again. And uh, what that means for Celtic is that they're second in, second in the league, four points behind Rangers. Uh, league form, won eight, lost three, drew two. Scored 30, conceded nine. Both of those are the best in the league so far. 
and then Europa League form is uh, one, two, lost two, scored eight, conceded ten, um, and then individual stats it goes: uh, Kyogo top goal scorer, ten goals, one assist in fourteen games. Jota, the aforementioned Jota, six goals, six assists, fourteen games, and then David Turnbull is third in the list with five goals, five assists in his seventeen games so far this season. So, Alan, we'll start with you. Um, we're going to take this sort of in the different positions and how they're performing. So creative stats, uh, things like that. So where, where do you want to kick us off? So I think the most striking change since the last international break has been in defence, in general, defending as a as a team, right? Expected goals against has halved. Okay. Now, again, small samples, there's some outliers. So that obviously in the previous not included in 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 the, in the last um, set of games was away games to in Betis and home to Leverkusen difficult difficult games uh, you know Alkmaar was also a difficult game we had the, the, the as James has said we had the hard hardest possible run of league fixtures in terms of away matches and away venues so we absolutely got to put all that into context as well but having said all that you know um, to halve your expected goals against uh, compared to the you know, defensive shambles really that that we that started the season. I think is is a is, is a pretty strong uh, um, strong indication of progress, right? Mm-hmm. We and 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 it, and, it, and it was pretty much straight evident straight away in that game against Motherwell that suddenly we looked like a coherent, organised team. You know, the 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 the, the praise that was given to what Gerard and Bale had done at Ibrox around. They just simply look competently organised. The spacing is good on the pitch. They're running. They're all running together. The, you know, they're keeping. They're maintaining their distances. They're maintaining their alignment. Their defensive shape is, is looking organised. That, that's what I'm looking at. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, that, that's, that's the basics, really. And, and, and you know, we we, we do not associate Celtic with that over the last certainly eighteen months or so. And that was starting to be there now. You know, we, that time on the on the on the training ground in the international break didn't look like it had been uh, wasted, um, and it was broadly the same set of players. You know, I think I said before, you've got a, you've got a, a lad that we thought was never going to make it, Ralston. We've got a lad who's on on loan and has been punted out every season. He's been at Spurs, doesn't seem to be wanted by them. We've got Starfelt, who everyone's been on the back of and been making mistakes and seemingly had a difficult time. Settling, and we've got Juranovic, who's playing out of position. That doesn't suggest a great, you know, back four. Okay, but somehow out of that, he's he's alchemized, uh, and I, and again, it comes back to system, as we've said before. I'm a much more secure, a much more solid, organized system. You see, even you see, you'll see now that we are uh, pressing more intelligently. Because again, a press isn't just everybody run after the ball whenever we lose it. A press is usually trigger based, event based, and it's a response and it has to be t- at the team at the team level, right? So it's, it takes to do pressing properly. It takes a lot of organisation, a lot of communication, a lot of drilling, and a lot of um, you know com- uh, awareness and uh, across the team. We're starting to see that happening on a more selective and basis. And then when the team isn't pressing. It's falling back into a coherent sort of mid-level block shape, which is pretty solid, uh, orientated uh, to 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 limit space in the centre of the field. These are all good signs to me that that, that things are, are moving in the right direction from a defensive perspective. You know, clearly he hasn't been able to do anything about the personnel, although bringing back the likes of Bitton. And if, you know, if we'd said at the beginning of the season that Rolston, Bitton, Rodrick would be the some of the mainstays of Celtic's progress so far, we'd, we would all have had a right good laugh at that. Um, so that, that, that's that's the big that's the big thing I fo- I would focus on for that this last sort of third of you as you as you um, positioned it. And uh, our actual expected goals for has gone down uh, in the last in that period. Um, so maybe there's been a conscious effort to uh, to solidify, really. And, and again, given that we've actually probably had not, I wouldn't say easier run of games, although we've played Dundee, obviously, who are desperately poor. Um, you know, we've played St. Johnson, Hibbs, Livingston, Motherwell. You know, they're Farron Schwaros. They're all they're all pretty decent sides. So you know, um, is it a worry? No, because we know that Postecoglou's teams are always going to attack. We know we've scored lots of goals. Our, our expected goals differential in the league is over two. I think I'm right in saying, or it's yeah, I think it's over two, over two again. Now 
that 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 when we talk about that, why is that important? James and I have spoken, and it's probably I might do a little bit of work on this as to what is the right answer. But if you're down near one, one xG per game differential, even though it's on your side, like you're you're out out scoring on xG the opposition by one a game, you're still in the realms of where variance can screw you up on occasion. And if you're under one, then variance can have a big impact over over the long term. So if you're over two. You can absorb some bad things happening, right? You can absorb the odd sending off, the odd injury, etc. Uh, so I think Celtic are in a really strong place. All the metrics, underlying metrics at the league level, SPFL level, um, suggest Celtic are by by a distance the best attacking team in the league, by a huge distance. Defensively, we're getting better, and and that's the mm. that's the big positive outtake from the last uh, from the last third. Yeah, well, what what's interesting is, you know, when you're going week by week on the narrative of things and how the press is reporting things and how social media is reacting, you would have imagined Celtic would be absolutely awful in defence. But I was actually quite surprised to see that Celtic have conceded the least amount of goals in the league this this year so far. They've conceded four less and, goals. And it's not it's not a it's not a have. it's not an outlier. I mean, that the our XG. And our goals against are pretty much the same. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it definitely hasn't been the disastrous, uh, you know, gung-ho football that Ange n- needs to change to adjust to the Scottish League. I mean, they're best in the league defensively, best in the league going forward. So the the idea of that would imagine that a couple of weeks down the line, Celtic might actually be top of the table, depending on what happens on the other side. James, you're, the progression of Celtic over the last uh, eight weeks, eight, ten weeks, uh, and what you've been noticing, the change in the team and, and what they're doing differently? Yeah, I echo a lot of what Alan said. I think I'd be curious, Alan, do you do you think obviously the specific details are a little different? But to me, the composition of where we've been the last six weeks is almost like our, like the Rogers 1819 team, uh, meaning that more more controlled, more possession. Um, not as intense pressing. I mean, the, that Rogers side really dialed back more of a mid block. Um, and, and I think that's what, that's the analogy I've been using is that we've, we've gone from an, quote unquote Ange ball with the wrong pieces. Our Jenga tower was collapsing too much. Uh, and I think to his credit and his team's credit, they have adjusted. So people talk about pragmatism. Um, I think that he has very, uh, smartly adjusted within the context of his available resources. Um, because I, and I wrote, I've referenced this before. I wrote a piece, I think back in September about volatility and, and back to Alan's point, not, not only that spread of XG, but as you allow more, I mean, let's say you had three XG on average and you were conceding one, that's worse than two and a half versus 0.5. Right. So the more the more you can limit your opposition's chances is is as important or maybe even a little bit more important than what that spread is between relative. And I think to, uh, uh, I'll echo what Alan said on a season wide basis, our XG differentials, I think, is up around two. But it has been coming down as we have kind of gotten this more controlled game. So the defense has improved, but. We've kind of taken a hit on the attacking side because we're not as aggressive and you know frantic and pressing as much and all of this other stuff. The Ange ball has been dialed back, um, but that probably means we're less vulnerable to dropping points if we can keep that spread as as wide. Now, my concern has been the trend in open play XG. So what's been happening is, and I talked about this, this kind of emergent trend that I've been worried about for about eight weeks now, and it's become more persistent, meaning that as it's come down, we've been moving more towards, you know, kind of one and a half, and it's kind of slowly coming down closer to 1.4 uh, in in open chance or open play chance creation. Uh, and if we keep kind of leaking, we're, we're, we're you know, Rangers have kind of been creeping up on that side. And again, we, the caveat, as we talked out at the open, who knows what's going to happen with them now, but they had kind of been getting better in that regard. And we had kind of been coming down and, mm-hmm. and to the point where we were so far out in front of everyone else in the early part of the season with the randomness and chaos that was going around, it averaged out. We were really, really good. And as we've tamped down on the crazy, uh, 
we've been coming closer and they've been so the relativeness of that relationship i think has become more stable and um that means you know um what when you're the underdog quote unquote meaning that we're trailing by four points if things kind of stay status quo from here that that you know you almost need to take risks at some point uh potentially uh, so that's, that's why I think between now and the end of the year with this transition at Rangers, the relative fixture list, I mean, to me, this is hugely important, um, how this all shakes out in the next six weeks. Um, because we, we really do need to capitalize on this period. Uh, I think we, you know, people talk about, we need to stay close or, you know, around this area. I think we need to close the gap and, you know, go into that game um either with at parity or even ahead a little bit um and and i'm sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say i think we will i think that that eventually will happen and i i do think like my my thoughts on that were before Stephen gerrard left the club that celtic if celtic could get parity by that game then they'd have a good chance of winning the league i think celtic have a chance now to capitalize and go ahead because i mean all it has to be is Rangers to drop, you know, lose one game. Celtic win that game and stand to one. Suddenly, you know, in the space of a week, you can swing it and you can be ahead. Um, the one thing I would offer to perhaps uh, give a, an explanation to the uh, drop in the amount of XG you're considering and also the sort of lack of, um, I'm not sure what the word you used there it was in my head, but the randomness of the team. And volatility. how they're going to perform. Yeah. Volatility is the, yeah. the word you use. Yeah. I was just skimming through the results and the, the starting lineups. In the last, uh, since the last international fixture, Celtic have been a very steady starting lineup with one, two changes max throughout. There might, it might have been, you know, Juranovic at left back as opposed to, uh, you know, Greg Taylor who was out injured or Jack started the game against Livingston in, instead of Kyogo. Those kind of little small details, little one or two changes. Compare that with the start of the season where the back four, you didn't know what the back four was going to be week on week. It was three to four changes throughout the entire team. You know, Christie was there for a while and Christie was gone. Edward was still there for a while. Edward was gone. Ayer gone. Uh, the, all, all these players were moving in and out of the team. Joe Hart came into the team. Juranovic came into the team. Cardiff Vickers wasn't there for a long time. So finally Celtic have their starting lineup that they can trust, that they can uh, get now get like consistency, consistency throughout it. We're seeing Starfelt settle into the team with Cardiff Vickers beside him and relationships are starting to build. And like, I guess that was always going to happen with a team that had a turnover of 11 players at the start of the season. 12. Yep. So th- that's where we're at. I think we're finally at the stage of the season now where we know our starting lineup, we know the best starting lineup, we know who we can trust, and we know who we can, uh, who's going to get the results from us. And I think yeah. that's where we're seeing the improvements. I think that's a spot on. I think we, we need to keep coming back to this end because, you know, as Charlie Mulgrew said on Sky Sports, he said, you know, when a player comes in, doesn't matter which country it's from, Japan, Belgium, whatever, you know, on average, it's just an average, it'll take about six months for that player to settle. Okay, we've brought in 12 new players, okay, and, and we're not six months in yet. And yet some of them have settled in terms of their performance on the field. I don't know what's happening off the field. I presume that if they're performing on the field, hopefully they're happy off it, but we don't know. But, the, you know, I would say it's remarkable to assimilate that number of players, especially young players uh, who, who um, have come a long way and would we be expected to have, uh, have bedded, uh, taken time to bed in to get that level of coherence, I think is remarkable. And I think we, should not, we shouldn't forget that. And we should absolutely keep coming back to that point. I just wanted to chuck in a couple of numbers. Just Actually, actually I was bashing James earlier. I feel like I should support him now. So the um, <laughs> expected, just the first thing, I think you made an excellent point about, and again, this speaks to something I've hinted at with, Postacoglu being a pragmatist, actually, <laughs> he's not a he's not a zealot in terms of the way he plays. That was a misinterpretation. Yeah, you, I think was you were out on front on that. Yep. And, yep. And, and, and you know, before before Motherwell game, so before the last international breaks, averaging five hundred and twenty passes completed passes. Oh. That, that's open play passes uh, per ninety minutes. It's now up to six hundred. That's a significant increase, and it all that's speaks to that that control. 
and, and, and it is that that is up to Rogers esque levels of control that the team are now exhibiting as opposed to five twenty five. You drop that by another twenty, you're kind of into Dyla territory, or certainly more into sort of Lennon territory in terms of style of play. And then the second one, just to, again to back up and put into numbers what James said, is if you look at open play expected assists, so the quality of chances being created in open play was averaging two point two. Uh, per game, 2.2 xG per game from expected assists. It's now down to 1.6. So there is there is something definitely there to keep an eye on. But if it is trending that way, more so the need for players like Yota. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I, I guess that's the the big question for me is um, how do and we've talked about this on prior shows recently is um, if the formula that the opposition starts to settle on is uh, deep, uh, narrow blocks. Uh, we saw a similar challenge with Rodgers in that 18-19 season with this kind of more deliberate buildup. Um, and, and you know, the issue there becomes where our vulnerability has emerged in defending has been in crosses. And uh, if you get teams that have any proficiency in countering, you know, Dun- Dundee is such a bad team but they do have a little bit of quality in attack, you know, as, as, as ridiculous as Charlie Adams is uh, <laughs> almost like a, a cartoon character in my mind at this point, he can pass the ball. You know what I mean? Like he, he's decent at picking out a pass and, you know, progressing the ball. So the, they, they at least, I mean, Motherwell in midfield is almost, you know, in that regard, almost useless. Right. So that's that dialing of, you know, Dundee is so terrible defensively and so poorly organized and disciplined and athletically that we just ripped them apart. And it didn't really matter that we gave up a couple of decent chances. When you get to that threshold of a team that's going to be more organized, and I don't think it's St. Johnston, St. Johnston, you know, they really miss the, the quality of players that they've lost. I mean, I, they're, they're, they're underlying stats. I'm talking about coming up the semifinal. I suspect it's not going to be St. Johnston going forward either. But, um, you know, there, there's a threshold there with a Dundee United or some of these other, even St. Mirren, uh, where if, they're, if they decide to play that kind of narrow low block and try to hit us on the counter from wide, which is where we concede it with crosses, you know, that, that and we're having trouble breaking down. Like that's, that's the concern I have as far as what's the formula where we're going to drop points at any kind of level mm-hmm. that's problematic is those kind of teams deciding to go, you know, not come in and have a go, but come in and be a little bit more cynical and pragmatic and say, okay, we're going to play it tight. We're going to play it deep and then hit them on the counter. Um, And, you know, hopefully they don't, hopefully they do what Dundee did when they came in last time. And we, we did draw, but I mean, we lit them up. I mean, it was like over three in XG for us. And that was, that was one of those outlier games where we just didn't win the game, even though we really probably should have uh, yeah. as, as opposed to like the Livingston game where it's Chinese water torture, trying to break teams down. Yeah. Charlie Adam, he is, he's an advertisement for uh, hair plugs for the dentist and for moisturizer all in one because he is <laughs> the oldest looking 35 year old you're ever going to come across. The man is God almighty. He's out of shape. And oh, the, the Anthony Ralston shoulder before the Jota assist is oh, the, definitely, the face plant. I love, it I is, love a good face plant. <laughs> it is definitely my favorite moment of the season. Um, incredible stuff. Uh, before we finish up then, anything else you just want to highlight from the season so far and what you are expecting from the next couple of weeks? I, I'll, I'll just say, I mean, quality of management, decision-making. I mean, again, to Alan's point, I mean, I, I think um, ha- having a manager with what I think is real intellectual firepower within the context of, of um, controlling a team and setting up a team and um, – you know, we def- I think we've definitely gone back towards more of a Rogers level uh, where we're talking not only competent, but potentially, you know, I talk about managers not mattering that much. Um, I think we have a decent shot at another manager here who is out on that right tail, meaning that, you know, does really make a difference in ability to get. And that's what we heard. That's what we all heard from all of our Australian friends and some of the friends in uh, Japan that have covered him. Uh, is that he could be special. And I think 
so far, I, I feel better about that likelihood having experienced the last five months. So to me, that's the most important thing is that we we seem to have someone in place that's, uh, you know, um, a real outlier potentially. Yeah, I agree. I'd, I'd, I'd love to see another two weeks on the training ground, you know, with un, 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 unhindered. I mean, we, we don't actually have that many players away on international duty this time, maybe six uh, I think first team players, maybe five, six, um, and so that extra time. What's you know? Because it looks like to me, huge strides forward in the two weeks that he had with the team before. Another two weeks on the back of what already been a much markedly improved uh, set of co- you know coherent performances. Be fascinated to see how he starts to you know improve. The midfield, because again, the midfield is is where the problems start and end in terms of the two things that James consistently and rightly highlights around the poor pressing and the and the diminishing of creativity. That's really the key area for me. Um, and if he can if he can put Bitton onto a game, he's literally can turn water into wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's hope so. Um, Thank you to everyone who has dropped a comment, by the way. Apologies that we haven't really uh, got to any of them, but I wanted to let the lads free on their uh, Jota debate. So um, we'll, we'll pro- I promise you I will get to those comments uh, in the next show. But that's all we have time for on this week's Huddle Breakdown. If you want to get the podcast, it's available on iTunes and on Spotify and wherever you get your podcast. really. You can get them uh, on our Twitter account, at Huddle Breakdown. And if you're watching on YouTube, there are more videos as well that uh, do pop up on the channel. So hit the subscribe button below and you'll get notified every time one goes live. James Allen, thanks for now. Cheers, guys. Go go Scotland. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Forgot Scotland are playing tonight. Go Scotland. (laughs) Cheers. Good luck.